We got a big one today, folks. Vladimir Putin is readying the Russian nuclear arsenal, while Biden just went to Europe and declared the latest forever war. We're going to break down all of this, plus an incident that happened at my own alma mater, Temple University, with a police officer. First, I want to remind you, go and sign in the Poso Daily Brief, humanevents.com backslash Poso. It's completely free. I've been told that people are loving this thing. People are opening it like crazy. The open rates are something that they've they've never seen before. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people have signed up to this thing. Make sure that you add your name to the list. It's perfectly free. You can scroll through. You don't have to worry about going on all cross social media to find stories every day. You just go to the Post Daily Brief, your one stop shop. Read what I read for show prep every day. You will not regret it. Humanevents.com slash Poso. Let's get into it. And let there be no doubt, the commitment of the United States to our NATO alliance and Article 5 is rock solid. And every member of NATO knows it, and Russia knows it as well. An attack against one is attack against all. It's a sacred oath. Sacred oath to defend every inch of NATO territory. In 2015, they attempted again directly uh, to directly attack Donbass. They continued shelling uh, terror in relation to citizens. All of this was completely against the documents that were accepted by the uh, United Nations uh, Security Council. I would like to repeat, they started the war and we used the force in order to stop it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today is February 21st, 2023, Anno Domini. You saw two speeches there, and we have a tale of two speeches today. One in Warsaw, one in Moscow. One by President Joe Biden, and one by Vladimir Putin. We are three days away as we sit now from the one-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. A war which could have been over in one month if the peace deal had been allowed to be signed that Putin and Zelensky had agreed to before Biden and Boris Johnson got involved and scrapped the entire thing. Remember, Naftali Bennett, the prime minister of Israel, explained this to us, that peace was on the table. And that it was Joe Biden and Boris Johnson who shot it down. And then several months later, committed the destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines. And I don't believe for a second, by the way, that the United Kingdom wasn't involved in that. So where do we see things now? Where do things sit here on the one year anniversary? Well, let's take a look. Joe Biden is there screaming his head off, pointing his finger angrily, scolding, yelling, defiant, aggressive. What kind of response do you think has happened? What kind of response do you think that has elicited for the world? Because we are in this together. 
like it or not. You may have a pathological obsession with Russia like Biden does. Biden clearly does. And people who lived through two generations of social conditioning during the Cold War era, that Russia is the evil enemy and they must be destroyed at all costs, are now running our country. And so instead of remembering the actual lessons of the Cold War, that you don't want to go to war with a nuclear power that has more nuclear warheads than you, Instead, they continue the provocation and they never once and go listen to every single word of Joe Biden's speech. I have. He doesn't speak of peace. He doesn't care about peace. He doesn't care about the innocent people, the families that are caught up in the fighting. He doesn't care about the sons and daughters who will never return home. He doesn't care. Because for Joe Biden, this isn't about defending freedom. This is about defending the eastern reaches of the globalist American empire. And once you understand that he is the avatar of the globalist American empire and is seeking to expand its borders, then it all fits into place. What's been the response? Well, it turns out that Russia doesn't want an empire on its borders. Who could have predicted that? So in Putin's speech today, he announced he's suspending the final nuclear treaty between the U.S. and Russia, the New START treaty. That's out the window. He's announced that it was the West, actually, who started and provoked the war. And he has put his long-range nuclear warheads on combat readiness. He's firing up the nukes. He's making sure that the world understands that he is not backing down. And he is making sure that the world understands that this isn't Saddam Hussein. This isn't the Taliban. This isn't Gaddafi. This isn't Assad. You see, what Russia has not in common, what Russia doesn't have in common with those countries, because yes, the U.S. did go into Iraq, almost unilaterally, the West went in unilaterally, you can say it that way, and knocked over Saddam. The West went in to knocked over Gaddafi in Libya. Tried to do this in Syria by instituting a civil war, initiating a civil war, and inciting a civil war, which led to the creation of ISIS. Go look up Operation Timber Sycamore. Well, there's a big difference. Because these guys have 6,000 nuclear warheads. They've got more nuclear warheads than us. We can't even stop a Chinese spy platform from coming and taking telemetry data and communications data over our entire country and our nuclear arsenal. No, 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 no. Instead, we sit back and take it. And then this guy runs over there saying, I'm I'm a big, tough man. Look at me. Look at me. I'm good to go. How do you think that's going to be taken? You know, we used to have a president. So there's a story that when when President Obama handed over the reins to President Trump, when they did their handover of power, that he told him that the number one issue was North Korea, that North Korea was the single greatest threat. And keep in mind, this was two years after Crimea, two years after Donbass had kicked off. And Barack Obama himself didn't say that the biggest threat was Russia. He said the biggest threat was North Korea. 
And he said, we've tried everything we can think of. We've, we've, we've scolded them from the UN. We've scolded them from international legal bodies, etc. What did Trump say? Have you tried talking to the man? Have you tried going over there and sitting down with him? Have you tried holding a meeting? That's what we used to do during the Cold War. We understood the threat of mutually assured destruction. We understood what it took to keep the world safe. But somewhere along the line, the idiots running our foreign policy and the idiots running our national security forgot about all of this. They forgot the way the Cold War worked and the reason that it stayed cold because cooler heads prevailed. But instead, we don't have that. We've got senators like John Fetterman, who don't even have their own mind. And we've got people like Joe Biden, who actually thinks that he's saving the world while he's walking us, the American people, down the primrose path to World War III. Quote, I don't have, I don't build in order to have donors. I have donors in order to build. That's what I believed, and I felt like we had a conflict of visions. We measure our success in terms of what we produce, not just in terms of our wallets. That was a pretty fundamental conflict, I felt. The day prior, I had informed him in front of his colleagues that he, if he wasn't willing to follow my lead, he'd be shown the door. I tried to deal with it privately, but I was unsuccessful, and the disagreement boiled over publicly in a staff meeting. The next day, this individual refused to resign, so I fired him. Later that same day, that's Feb Thursday, February 2nd, a few days after the 50 million views Pfizer videos, I was informed by a different officer of Project Veritas that he would go to the board in a few hours from that moment and have an emergency vote to restructure this company. Receiving an agenda in my email while I was sitting on an airplane tarmac with the doors closing, the, the meeting was scheduled for the moment that my plane landed in Nashville. It became clear to me in that moment I would be removed from my position at Project Veritas by the time I landed at my destination. So, our mission continues on. I'm not done. The mission will perhaps take on a new name, and it may be no longer called Veritas, Project Veritas. I'll meet a bunch of people around me, and I'll make sure, I'll make sure you know how to find me. So with that, I'm going to collect my things. I'm going to load them into my car. And I hope to see some of you soon. So I've been quiet on the show about my friend James O'Keefe and my friends at Project Veritas. You guys know that I've had James on this program many times and have always been a longtime supporter of his and Project Veritas. I love Project Veritas. I am deeply committed to every single piece of work that they've done. I've always been one of the first people to either, if I'm going to post their video, they have a new thing out, or if they have something coming, I make sure to you know get it lined up. I clear my schedule if I have to. If I know something big is coming on, like, like the Pfizer story that just came out. And then I see this happen. James being removed from his own organization that he built from nothing. 
He took it from zero to one, to use the Peter Thiel phrase. There would be no Project Veritas without James O'Keefe. There'd be no Apple without Steve Jobs. The world needs creators. The world needs founders. He was quoting Ayn Rand or paraphrasing Ayn Rand, uh, the fountainhead, at the beginning of the, the clip you saw there. And the 45-minute clip is going viral and everyone can see it. And I've spoken to James, not since yesterday, but I've spoken to him recently within the past couple of weeks and other people who were involved in this. And it's tough for me. Look, when, when there's a fight that's inside the family like this, it's rough because everybody knows people on both sides and you just want the fight to go away because you want the family to come together. And that's how I feel about this. I feel like this movement, it is a family. And for somebody like James, such an important part of this family, to see him attacked like this, publicly smeared like this by his own organization, makes me sick to my stomach. It makes me want to throw up. There are forces currently at play here. 2024 is fast approaching. And if you think that the regime wants to respond to all the gains that have been made on the ground in this nationalist populist movement that we're in, if you were a smart regime and you wanted to take out your opponents, what would you do? You would infiltrate them. You would infiltrate them and you'd sow dissension. You would infiltrate them and you would ignite a civil war between competing factions. You know, we've seen a lot of this lately over the past couple of weeks, and I keep my mouth shut for the most part, but a lot of this behind the curtain stuff, whether it's whether it's going on to Tim Pool, whether it's a Daily Wire, um, whether, you know, just just all of this different dissension, now, now Project Veritas, where it's come to, and that normally would stay behind the curtain. Who benefits from this? And so the same type of analysis that I would put on world events, I would put to this type of situation, to our movement, to our family. Qui bono, qui malo. How many times have I said that? It'd be like the new motto of the show. Qui bono, qui malo. Who benefits, who suffers? So who suffers? I think that's obvious. The entire movement suffers. The entire populist nationalist movement suffers. Because when you get into a mud fight, you get mud on everyone. But who benefits? Ah, who benefits? Well, James O'Keefe and Project Veritas, more than any of us, have an enemy's list that's a mile long. Those people are the ones who benefit. The people that are getting away with their corruption right now because James O'Keefe and Project Veritas are running around chasing their tail like this, the people that they would normally be going after are breathing a sigh of relief. So isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that the people who seem to benefit from this are the ones that have always been on the wrong end of Project Veritas's investigations? What can I say? Wouldn't the most poetic justice be 
if you'd been infiltrated by James O'Keefe, to infiltrate him back? I don't know. But I will say this. It happened. It's done. The die is cast. Sides have been drawn. The work goes on. Folks, I know if you feel like I do, the world is being held together with duct tape right now. Everything's falling apart. There's new distractions all over the place, fake news to pull us all from reality, and we're trying to face it. But between the government trying to print their way out of debt, global military conflicts, and the looming food shortage, preparedness is no longer a choice. It is a necessity, and in times like these, you can trust My Patriot Supply. Their three-month emergency food kit comes packed with tasty, and I do mean tasty, meals packed with over 2,000 calories a day. And right now, you'll automatically get $200 in free survival gear with each kit you order. These products will save the day when the crisis comes, and it's coming soon. Self-reliance is your only option. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and get $200 worth of free survival essentials with your three-month emergency food kit. Everything is in stock and ready to go with free shipping, too. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com before the next disaster strikes. MyPatriotSupply.com. Officer Fitzgerald was in full uniform in a patrol vehicle when he observed three males on 1800 block of East, uh, 1800 block of Montgomery Avenue. There have been a series of robberies and carjackings in the area, and these males were wearing all black and masked up. Officer Fitzgerald attempted to conduct what we call a pedestrian investigation, uh, at which time the males fled on foot. Officer Fitzgerald notified police radio that he was in fact in foot pursuit of these three males. Two of the males hid in the area. The third male, Miles Peeffer, was still being pursued by Officer Fitzgerald onto the 1700 block of Montgomery Avenue. Now, so you understand where the 1700 block of Montgomery Avenue is, it's exactly one block from the 22nd Police District. We recovered video from the area, and out of respect for the family, we will not be showing that video. But the video depicts the following. Officer Fitzgerald running behind Miles Peeffer. Officer Fitzgerald was able to catch up Mr. Peeffer uh, then you can hear Fitz Officer Fitzgerald say, go to the ground. They tussle behind an SUV, which is out of cam uh, camera view. Peeffer then pulls out a handgun and shoots Officer Fitzgerald. You can hear the shots and see the muzzle flash. Bang, bang, bang. When Officer Fitzgerald falls to the ground, Peeffer then shoots the officer as he is on the ground. Three additional shots. Bang, bang, bang. So you may have heard this horrific story at a Temple University this weekend of the execution of a Temple University police officer by allegedly this 18-year-old kid. He's been arrested, he's been charged. Now, when they go up there and they give that report and they say the 1700 block of Montgomery Avenue, oh, it's the 1700 block of Montgomery Avenue. Well, well that's, that might be what it, what it means to you but I went to Temple University. That's my alma mater. I was a student leader there. I, I spent all four years there. To me, 1700 Montgomery, that's where I would park my car before I went into the Leah Core Center because it was a couple blocks up. And you could park your car for free there. It was cheaper than the dirt lot. Now, the dirt lot, by the way, which is down the other end of campus, that you had to take your life in your hands because the dirt lot, uh, you didn't pay anything. But you could get blocked in, you could get boxed in, you get stuck there, et cetera, et cetera. So sure, you could park up by the Leocorce Center behind the Leocorce Garage. I used to park there when I saw Green Day there 
when I was in school. I saw Muse there at the Leacor Center. Um, I used to walk there to and from class when I'd park my car. This was part of going to school at Temple for everybody. Or if you were looking for some used textbooks that were a little cheaper, maybe, you know, maybe you'd be walking around Montgomery Avenue. You'd be looking for it. And so here we are looking at my school all these years later and to think that, and, and, and to be clear, you know, it was a pretty rough neighborhood even when I went there. But this idea that there would be a police officer hunted down, shot and killed and executed, execution style, right on that very same sidewalk that me and the other students used to walk to and from class. It's horrific. And this came just two days after Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro said that he's going to be essentially unilaterally suspending the death penalty in the state of Pennsylvania, which means that even though it's on the books, he's either going to grant clemency or not sign the warrant, et cetera, et cetera. So instead of going hard on crime, he's going to go soft on crime. What's the response? They immediately start executing police officers, Temple University. And then we found out the suspect in all of this, and we'll call him a suspect because, of course, we do believe that everybody deserves a fair trial, and we want that. Of course, we, we encourage that. We celebrate due process. The suspect is 18 years old, comes from a wealthy family, is from Bucks County, Middle Bucks, as a matter of fact, um, basically from the suburbs. You go to his Instagram page and riding dirt bikes, hanging out with his friends, going fishing. But that's when he was younger. And as he gets older, suddenly you start to see him putting dollar dollar bills up in front of his face, carrying a handgun with an extended mag in his waistband. Talking about going down in the city. And what you see is that the culture of the inner city is now spreading out into the suburbs. And it is enticing, influencing, and in this case, infecting young suburban kids. And they want to be little wannabe gangsters too. So this idea, by the way, that crime, and we talked about this on the Sunday special with Heather McDonald. This idea that poverty causes crime is backwards. It's absolutely backwards. Crime causes poverty. Because you can't build anything in a criminal area. Explain this guy. If this actually did happen, explain this. Because you have to explain how the celebration of gangster culture, thug culture, led a wealthy, suburban 18-year-old boy to become a criminal who would then go execute a police officer, allegedly, on the street. Not even anywhere near where he lived. They said he was knocking off some convenience store, some grocery store. And then you look, by the way, at the logo, which nobody is talking about, but I'll talk about it. The logo on his hoodie 
when he was arrested, what he's wearing when he's in custody, a dollar sign with an X through it, a crossed out dollar sign is a known symbol of the anti-capitalist anarcho left. So a group known for violence historically in the United States, violence specifically against police officers. Now, now look, I, I have no information to connect him to the anarcho-socialist movement other than the fact that he's wearing a shirt that's got a symbol on it that is a symbol of that movement, a movement that has killed cops in the past. So again, we're following the evidence, as I always say that people should do, but I am pointing out that that logo, combined with this thug culture mentality, shows that something has gone wrong in our suburbs, something has gone wrong in our country, something is going wrong. We're not just seeing the collapse of infrastructure. We're not just seeing the collapse of America standing in the world. We're seeing the collapse of our own moral fiber in this country, a collapse of moral standards, a collapse of our moral center and core. And when that collapses, everything rushes in. Ladies and gentlemen, you have my permission to lay ashore.